Good morning, Christ Chapel. Merry Christmas. Hope you're enjoying the lovely Easter weather. It is weird out there. I uh, welcome, if you're coming from the internet campus, Converge, West Campus, South Campus, good to, good to have you. I'm really glad, privileged to, to be with you this morning. Uh, I will say I'm relieved that Christmas is behind us. I get a little nervous every year uh, around Christmas time, specifically the time where people are opening the gifts that I got them, more specifically when my wife is opening the gifts I got her. And that's because a few years ago, I botched it. I mean, totally struck out. I, I don't know if it was, it feels like four or five years ago, I, I don't know. But I got Brandy things that she didn't want, clothes that didn't fit, things that weren't her style. And I, I managed to land the number one worst gift to purchase your wife for Christmas. I mean, I Googled it. I got number one. What do you think number one is? You say a vacuum. I'm not dumb. I didn't get a vacuum. I got a dustbuster. I got her a, a dustbuster. Like, I oversee the marriage ministries, re-engage. I'm supposed to know this stuff, right? I was actually excited for her to open this gift. And this was like one of the last gifts. The reason I was excited was we had that one of those dustbusters that puttered out after three seconds. And so we needed it. And then unlike me, I researched. I went on Amazon and read the reviews. That's something I know like Brandy would really appreciate that. And I read the reviews. Needless to say, when she opened that gift, I did not get the response I was hoping for or expected. She didn't like get upset. She just didn't get excited. You know, oh, thanks, honey. It was one of those responses. Uh, now, if I put myself in her shoes, that wasn't the gift opening experience that she hoped for or expected either. And to her credit, it was only later in the day that she told me she was a little let down this Christmas. And, and I have learned my lesson, like think before you click. Would you like to confirm your purchase? Nope, not yet. Get some advice. I think I've learned my lesson, but things don't always go as expected. I mean, if you've lived more than five minutes, you know that. Things surprise us. We, our hopes aren't always fulfilled. Sometimes we're surprised with good news as well. Uh, how many of you remember this time last year? It was goodbye 2020. 2021 is going to be nothing, but it can only go up from here. Nothing but it just only good news is coming. And then Within, you know, five minutes, you have the Capitol riots, and then you had Snowmageddon or the snow, snowpocalypse. It, the, the, the surprises kept coming. Uh, I hope it was a better year for all of us, but I can look at it just even in our own family. We had surprises, unexpected things, and they can throw us off. I have no idea what 2022 has in store for us, but I could pretty much expect the unexpected is going to come in some shape some form. Might be good, might be bad, might be big, might be small. But the question I'm going to ask this morning is, how are we supposed to respond to unexpected things, to the unexpected, which often is hard? How, how are we supposed to respond to the unexpected? And we get to learn from, I think, one of the greatest responses to an unexpected event it's in Luke chapter 1. We're taking a step aside from Matthew today. We're in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 46 through 50. This is Mary's response to some unexpected news that she was pregnant. Very unexpected considering she was a, she was a virgin. 
right? I mean, before I read this, consider what she was going through. She was engaged or betrothed to be married to a good man, and then she finds out she's pregnant. Very good news because this is the fulfillment of a lot of prophecy and great things are happening, but for her, it means she lives in a small town where this news is going to spread. It's going to go viral. People will talk. And if she told people the truth as to what happened, if she, you know, they're going to think she's crazy or lying, one or the other. So shame will be brought upon her and her family. Her character is, is uh, dragged through, through the mud in the eyes of the people in Nazareth, at least. And then she's most likely going to lose a good man and a sense of security about the future. I mean, a lot has happened with this, with, with this announcement. And I don't want to be unfair, but she's a teenage girl. And teenagers can be melodramatic. Is that fair? Yeah, true, right? I've seen teenagers melt down over having to turn off a video game. I'm, I'm not judging. I, I've melted down because traffic slowed down, okay? Or my phone didn't respond the way I wanted it to. I'm not judging. But this is a teenage girl responding to a very surprising, difficult, unexpected turn of events. And we read in verse 46, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I'm going to stop right there. And right off the bat, her response is clear. She worships. Mary wholeheartedly worshiped God at this turn of events. She wholeheartedly worshiped. Now, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What is to magnify? It's to make something bigger, right? To enlarge in it. Does God need to be made bigger? Does he need to be magnified? I mean, it well, depends on what type of magnification we're talking about. There's microscope magnification and telescope magnification. A microscope takes something that's small and makes it look big. But a telescope takes something that should, should appear big but appears small to us. But it takes something that is big and makes it appear bigger. It brings it closer to actual size, Right? So when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's not taking a small God and making him look bigger. She's actually looking at a God who should dominate her vision and bringing him closer to actual size. She's making a big God appear bigger. And then when she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, I think that's a form of what's called synonymous parallelism. She's saying the same thing. She's expanding on her point, repeating herself, but giving it another angle, more depth, her spirit from deep within rejoices in God, her Savior. She's, she's finding delight in who he is. She's aware of his presence, of who he is. She's amazed by him. She's in awe of him. Even, I think, there's fear mingled in there. She is rejoicing in God, her Savior. So Mary wholeheartedly worshiped God. I want to ask, how, how did she get there? Was she just supernaturally mature? 
did she, was she chosen by God with some divine DNA to be, uh, to respond like this to an unexpected event? Well, I'm not going to say no, she wasn't chosen. I, I believe she was chosen, but I'm encouraged when I stop and realize that it took her time to get there. Mary did not get to this type of praise overnight. She received this news back in verse, uh, you know, is verse 26 is where that conversation starts. She receives this news and her first response was, uh, sounds like skepticism almost. How can this be since I'm a virgin? That's verse 34. And then um, verse 38, by the end of that conversation, she comes to a place of kind of arriving at simple acceptance. Behold, I'm I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She accepts, but I don't think this is heartfelt joy yet. At that point, so, but at the, it's taking time because at this point, she travels down to see her Aunt Elizabeth. This would be about a 65 to 80 mile journey from, from Nazareth down to an area near Jerusalem with all the twists and turns. That's got to be a, a longer trip than even 80 miles. That would be like traveling to Waco almost without a car. Okay, so that would take three to four days. I don't know how long it would take, but all I know is that there is time for her to meditate. And we know that Mary was the type of uh, young woman who meditated on scripture. First of all, the passage we're studying is dripping with Old Testament references, especially from 1 Samuel chapter two, from the Psalms. You can see the evidence that she knew the word, but also she was the type who treasured up these things in her heart. It mentions that multiple times. She was a thinker, and I believe she was using that travel time to think about what Gabriel, the angel, had said and how it compares to the promises in the scriptures. I believe she meditated on God's word. And then she arrives to spend three months with her Aunt Mary, who's a godly woman. She spent time in intentional fellowship. And it's, I don't know at what point this hymn happens, but it's on the heels of this fellowship that we hear her break out in worship. She spends time in intentional fellowship, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's at that point that it all clicks for her. This is encouraging to me. I, I sometimes think, do I, have what it takes, do I have what it takes to worship like Mary does? Do some people get it and some people don't? Well, for Mary, it seems to have taken time. And when I look at what happened between getting the news and her worshiping, I can take some actual steps in this direction. But the point is, when you receive unexpected news, give praise to God. Even if it feels counterintuitive, start moving in that direction. Whether it's meditating on scripture, being patient with yourself, but being determined, I'm gonna praise God. If you need to recruit a brother or sister in Christ to encourage you to, you know, to give you a different perspective, do what it takes that whether it's good news, especially if it's bad news, to praise God. So when, when you receive unexpected news, pr- give praise to God. You know, we also see that the response that comes out of her, I think it came out of her, it came out of her because of an attitude that she had. She had a proper mind frame. We see it in that Mary modeled an unassuming humility. Mary had an unassuming humility about her. Look at verse 48. She said, 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's humble. Uh, humility is a challenging topic to address. But don't worry, I'm, I'm amazing at it. <laughs> There's a dad joke right there. Do you hear the marks of her humility? Do you hear the evidence? Mary's humility is evident in her awareness of her need. She said, God looked on the humble estate of his servant. Humble could be translated as lowly. She was in a lowly place. She was in a needy place. Mary realized that apart from God, she was helpless. She was without means. She couldn't do anything for her situation. And also, she calls herself God's servant. I don't think she thought, this is about me. I think Mary saw herself as insignificant against the backdrop of what God was doing. She knew, she, Mary knew that it was not about her. And here's the thing, God loves to use people who are inconsequential, who are helpless, who are small, who are needy, humble people. God loves to use humble people for his great purposes. I, I thought of uh, what Paul said to the proud Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, that he said, God didn't choose you because of how great you are. Verse 27, he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is a theme in Scripture, it's, especially it's a theme in Luke. Luke shows this contrast quite often. Luke chapter 16, a rich man and a poor man, and one goes to heaven, one goes to hell, and there's this reversal. There's a reversal of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's all over Luke. Even the beginning, chapter one, chapter one begins with a birth announcement from an angel to an unsuspecting person. Not Mary, but actually to a grown man. Very similar events. An angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to a grown man who is not insignificant. He was qualified. He was educated. He was holy. It was Zechariah. He was a priest appointed to burn incense in the temple. And it's in that place, while worshiping, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, your wife Elizabeth is pregnant. And he doesn't believe it at first. He, he doesn't respond in faith. And, and the angel says, for that, I'm going I'm to close your mouth for a while. And he doesn't speak until his baby John, John is born. He goes months without being able to speak. And then Mary, very similar, an angel appears with an unlikely pregnancy announcement. And she, yeah, initial skepticism, understandable, but she quickly believes and submits. She's humble. And it's, it's, it's often he just uses unsuspecting, humble people who are aware of their need Another evident, evidence, Mary's humility is evident in her heartfelt gratitude. Mary has this, who am I attitude? The God of the universe has looked upon me? I think she's thankful because the last thing she would expect is for God to choose her as the object of his special attention. I'm, I'm just a servant. Who am I that from now on all generations will call me blessed? She humbly trusts God, and it's made clear in a grateful attitude. It's the same attitude, by the way, that Elizabeth has in verse 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
It's a who am I attitude. It's grateful. They're grateful. The, the, the right response, the point being, the right response can only come, the right response to unexpected news really only comes from humble people who are aware of their dependence on God, who humbly trust Him, who are grateful. Are you humble? It's a bad question, I know. It's an unfair question. If you say yes, you sound arrogant. But the reason that's hard, actually, is because the opposite of humility, pride, is something that is by nature uh, self-deceptive. You, you can't see your own pride, but the people around you do. Pride is like bad breath. You're the only person who can't smell it. Everybody else can. That, so instead of sending you on a fruitless uh, journey of trying to figure out if you're humble, let's just say it this way. When you receive unexpected news, Acknowledge your dependence on God. Because it's true. You need him. It's okay to feel weak, to feel clueless, to feel powerless in the face of the unexpected. It's, it's uncomfortable. I'll be the first to say that. But it's actually good because it's closer to reality. I think God uses unexpected news to open our eyes to the reality that we're not in control. He is. So when unexpected things happen, you can take a step toward being more, more humble by acknowledging and embracing the fact that I have no idea what to do right now, God. I don't know what's going on. I need you. I need your help. This kind of response, by the way, the worship and the humility, I think it's ultimately rooted in this third element, and it's that Mary shifted her focus. Mary shifted her focus. She worshiped God because I believe God broke into the scene in her heart and overshadowed her circumstances. Imagine with me what the emotional roller coaster must have been like for Mary to go, go through what she was going through. Can you imagine the stress and the anxiety? How are people going to respond? What, what's going to happen to me? What's Joseph going to say? What are my parents thinking? All this, the uncertainty, the, excuse me, the uncertainty, the doubts, the feeling of being underqualified for the job. God, how am I supposed to take care of the Son of God, protect and provide for the Son of God as a single mother? Yeah, that'd keep me up at night. The, the, the fact is, I think we've all felt underqualified for the things that come out at us at times, right? You might be feeling that right now. Do the demands and pressures of life leave you feeling underqualified or unqualified, stressed or anxious? I, I don't know what it is. It might be a difficult marriage that makes daily life kind of feel like a battle. Raising kids can certainly have that effect. A job might feel thankless. You might be dealing with an ongoing chronic pain. Uncertainty with, with a sickness, losing a loved one. I'm convinced if I go through and talk to every single one of you, there, there would, it wouldn't take long to realize there is a very real battle or thing that you're facing that feels bigger than you. The question is, how, how do you look? How do you look at those things? Those unexpected trials, challenges, they can feel like curses, like punishments. 
You know, 1 Peter 4, Peter would say, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you as if something strange were happening to you. These things are not signs of something that has necessarily gone wrong or of God's absence. I think it's just the opposite. I think God is being good to us in the very things that are coming to our minds right now, in the very challenges and trials. Our Father is caring for us. He's being good to us when we are not able to fix our problems. He's being good to us because he's forcing us to realize we need him. We're dependent on him. I'll say it this way. The magnitude of our situation is meant to be swallowed up by the magnificence of the Lord. And that's why we magnify him. We need to see him as bigger. The magnitude of our circumstance or situation needs to be swallowed up by the magnificence of God. And that's why we want to magnify him. And you can see Mary does this. She didn't focus on her circumstances. I don't hear her praying for Joseph to believe her account of the story or for traveling mercies or whatever. She's, she's focusing on the Lord. I know that when I'm anxious and I pray for God to fix the situation, I, my anxiety usually remains. But when I worshipfully shift my focus to him, the anxiety starts to go away. So look at how Mary did it. Mary's, Mary's circumstances were overshadowed by a vision, a very real vision of God who is powerful. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. That's verse 49. The mighty one, God is my, he's my warrior. He's fighting for me. God is driving. I can trust in him. Her circumstances were overshadowed by a vision of God who is holy. Holy is his name. He's good, he's righteous, he's pure, but more than that, he's unique. There's nobody like him. He is absolutely in charge. And by the way, to see God as powerful and holy at the same time doesn't and should not leave a sinner feeling comforted. That's a scary place to stand before a holy, all-powerful God. That's why this next attribute is so precious his mercy, verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him. This holy, powerful God is merciful. To stand before a holy, all-powerful God and think that you deserve his blessing is the height of arrogance, right? But when you see yourself before him, Lord, thank God you are merciful. You do not give me what I deserve and his mercy is for those who realize that, who fear him. That's the good news of the gospel. God didn't come for good people. He came for people who know they're not good, who know they need his mercy. So his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's faithful. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have the very same reasons for praising as Mary did. In other words, these things that she's praising God for are as, were, they're as, they are as true for us as they were for Mary. I'll put it this way. When you receive unexpected news, focus on God, not on your problem. When we focus on God worshipfully like this, that he's powerful and holy and merciful and genuine, it humbles us and it leads to genuine worship. It's the effect it's going to have. I think that's at the root of this response, of this great worship. Um, Ed Welch has a great book 
title is When People Are Big and God is Small. I think it's a great title. It's about the fear of man. And I struggle with that. I, ca- I care too much what people think. And when I'm in service to somebody's opinion or getting somebody's approval, they seem very big to me. The people in my life dominate my vision and God is theoretical, he's conceptual. He seems in, he's in black and white, they're in color. But if I shift my focus not to what can I do, God, please give me their approval, you know, I remain anxious. But if I look at God and say, what do you think, Lord? And I see that in Christ, I have his approval. He loves me. The only judgment that matters has already landed on Jesus. And now I, I, I get nothing but mercy and love from God. It, the other people's opinions fade into the background. Our problems become small because we focus on him. Focusing on God, magnifying him, puts everything else in perspective. And I'd, I'd say we have even better reasons for being able to do this than, than Mary did. We got to see this baby and who he grew up to become and what he did for us. How he was perfect and holy and, and righteous and good and loving, and yet he went to the cross to receive our penalty for our sin so that we might get his righteousness. And if you don't know where to focus, when I say shift your focus, focus, focus on Christ on the cross, dying and rising from the, gra- uh, from the grave for us. We get, to, we get to focus on him. There's real power in focusing on shifting your focus to him. You know, in October of 1982, there was a, a big football game. It was the um, University of Wisconsin Badgers versus the Michigan State Spartans. 60,000 fans packed the stadium, and it was a huge game. But for most of it, the Badgers were losing. I think they ended up winning the game, but for a good portion of that game, they were losing. They were, you know, just nothing good was happening on the field. And so for such, for such a packed stadium, there was relative silence. And yet every once in a while, bursts of applause would break out. People would just start cheering, but it would, nothing good happened on the field. Why? Why would people start cheering in the middle of a game where they were losing? Well, because 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in game five of the World Series, and they were winning. See, the people in the stands had radios with them tuned in to a different game. There was good news happening beyond their immediate view. We're in the same boat. There are two stories unfolding. There's the one that's right in front of us that we see, and sometimes it feels like bad news, sometimes it feels like good news, but with the unexpected things that are happening, we can be consumed with what's happening here. But we're called to shift our focus to where there is perfectly good news unfolding all the time because our God, who is holy and righteous and powerful, is in control. We don't know what 2022 has in store for us, but we know who holds the future. And sometimes he brings some difficult things. I would say it this way. He brings some of the greatest gifts in the most unattractive packages at times. So as we face a new year, can we take a cue from Mary? In the face of the unexpected, which is bound to come, worship God humbly, acknowledging your dependence on him and focusing on the one who is in control. He's powerful, he's holy, he's merciful, and he's faithful. Would you pray with me? 
Father, I thank you for the amazing example. It's humbling even to know we can learn so much from a, a pregnant teenage girl. Her humble response uh, to, to uh, such large news teaches us, but Lord, I pray that we don't just receive it intellectually. I pray we incorporate it. With the, we, we resolve to praise you this year, even if we're in the middle of something now, may help us to praise you, to humbly focus on you because you are good, you are holy, you're merciful and you're faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.